to the cool room uh you're joining us today tonight whenever you might be listening for another one of our sessions of the virtual meet the brewers series and this one as we've been saying quietly amongst ourselves in our little lead up intro show is a little bit like a scavenger hunt we have our youngest ever member of the podcast joining us hugo who is i think two weeks three weeks old we have our furthest away ever member joining us, Casper from Ale Farm in Denmark. We have uh, friends Brooke from uh, Brooks from uh, Nomad joining us from New South Wales, and a cast of thousands in the live room, and a cast of thousands, no doubt, listening to the podcast later on. Uh, my name's David Griffiths, and I'm your host tonight, along with Warren Wu and Travis Bristow. And I get the fun job of doing the little spiel at the beginning with all of the housekeeping things before the guys get to kick things off with the exciting and interesting questions. Uh, for those who haven't been part of one of these before, we talk our way through three or four beers that have been sent out as part of a tasting pack. And if you have one of those in front of you or you receive that during the week, the beers that we'll be focusing on will be first and foremost the Nomad Jetlag beer. We'll go from there into the Ale Farm Hope Inside the Fire. And then the two beers that are the real focus of the night are both releases from the One Brew Nation collaboration projects. We have first of all the double dry hopped hazy pale ale with rainforest lime and from there into the Wattle Seed Brown Ale, uh, which is a collab with Rogue. And if you haven't already checked it out, uh, Joel from Rogue was kind enough to do an exclusive video for the Cool Room podcast, and we've put that up on our website and Facebook page during the week. Uh, we're not necessarily recommending that everyone tries to drink their way through all of those beers, which is a fair amount of beer to get through, both in terms of volume and in terms of ABV. So feel free to make yourselves little tasting paddles and come back to the other beers later on in the night. Or if you're listening via the podcast, feel free to pause after we've spoken about one beer, enjoy it at your leisure, and then press go again, and you can enjoy the beers in a much more leisurely fashion that way. Uh, also, a big shout out and thank you to everyone who's joining us for the first time tonight, both via a podcast or in the room, particularly uh, new friends who are joining us from all around Australia and from overseas. If you haven't already liked our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram, please do so. It's how you can stay in touch with all of the great content we're putting out. We've got a couple of podcasts a week that are coming out while we're all in ISO mode. Uh, we've had uh, Kumar from Quiet Deeds. We had Sam Sam But Different, who are one of Melbourne's favourite pub bands on this week. And you'll also be able to find in the archives of the podcast some of the previous Meet the Brewers that we've done uh, with Venom, with Bonehead, and last week, a conversation that went on for the best bit of two hours with La Seren. So there's some fantastic bits and pieces to go back and check out in the archives there. And uh, if this is your first one, make sure you get the tasting pack next week when we visit virtually Blackman's Brewery. And we've got some fantastic beers from them in terms of their single hop series and the Barrel Farm Sours series. 
Um, I reckon that's enough from me right now. Travis and Warren, who've been out delivering beers and doing all sorts of other things behind the scenes this week, I'm going to pass over to you so that you can introduce Casper and Brooks and start the conversation. Holy shit, that's a long introduction. That's, it's getting worse it, every week, isn't it? It is. It's just, it's huge. Yeah, it's a good sign. There's a lot going on, but holy shit. So, welcome to the podcast. Um, we're going to kick off with Brooks uh, and the Jetlag IPA. Um, so, first of all, Brooks, how did you how did you come to be a nomad? You were overseas at the time when before reaching nomad. Um, so, nomad's been going for about just under six years now. Uh, we started brewing July two thousand fourteen. Um, about a year and a half prior to that, I met Johnny and Carrie, who were living in Italy at the time. I was living in Italy myself. I'm Italian-American, but I spent most of my uh, childhood and early adulthood uh, in Italy. Um, I met him over there, so I guess about seven and a half years ago now. Well, time flies. Um, and we started chatting about possibly opening a brewery in the northern beaches area of Sydney. And, you know, there was a few ideas. And for some reason, I always had it sort of in the back of my mind that I'd like to, uh, you know, uh, live in Australia at least for a while or, you know, visit uh, for a long period of time. And so it just happened that I kind of wanted to change the scenery myself at that time. And uh, I was working for a brewery um, in Italy. And uh, yeah, but I just met him. We started the conversation. Um, and everything just kind of started shaping up and about a year and a half later we actually had a brewery uh, ready to go and ready to make beer and that's how it all kind of happened wow amazing serendipitous in some ways <laughs> which part of the which part of the uh us are originally from um from the south uh my mom is from arkansas sure um but yeah for different reasons i never really lived there uh, i lived in rome italy most of my life so. oh really oh sorry yeah. it's yeah, yeah. and i kind of knew that um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is terrible uh what so so let's let's quickly duck on the beer and pretend that didn't happen um so the jet lag uh give us give us an idea it's been part of the core range for a while um what should the listeners be looking for? I mean, it's it's deliciously smashable for six percent. But apart from that, what what what's the idea? Is what have you? So jet lag is one of the first brews we ever really did. I think it was the second or third one into the fermenters. So yeah, it's you know it's been around for about six years now. Uh, it's definitely staying around. Um, I guess the idea was, and you know, as soon as I kind of started thinking about moving over here. Um, I sort of found out about all these amazing uh, native Australian ingredients and obviously finger lime was one of the first ones that I wanted to use and I thought it would fit perfectly in an IPA. Um, so that's what we did and we kind of shaped the, the hop profile around um, the finger lime. Um, we've changed the, hop pro the hops through the years depending on availability and how sort of how we the and, and the profiles we wanted in the beer, which do change. Um, uh, every year we, we, we tweak the hops a little bit, um, but it's always based around 
the finger lime itself. We don't want to take away from it. We don't want to add a hop that might overpower it and things like that. So, um, cool. And I guess we, we it's, it's sort of roughly based on a West Coast style IPA, um, a little bit lower in ABV than what um, California breweries like to do, but um, uh, very lean on the malt profile. Uh, we don't really make use of specialty malts in this one, because again, we don't want to overpower um, the finger line or the hops. Uh, we keep it really lean. Um, and I think it's, we, re we really want the finger line to shine through. So, and I think not, a, not everyone gets it straight away um, because I think also people may have not even seen a real finger line or tasted a finger line. Or, exactly. I was going to say, do you want to explain for the kids at home? Yeah. So a finger lime is a native Australian citrus. It grows sort of north of Sydney, um, probably more around Queensland than that. There are a few cultivations in New South Wales, but it, it likes warm weather. Um, and it, and being a, a, a native citrus, like it's just the way it is, and it hasn't been uh, modified and the cultivars haven't been changed for the years. Um, it has a really high uh, skin or zest to pulp ratio. And we actually only use the zest in the beer. Uh, so we actually get a lot of flavor and aroma extraction from the zest because it's basically all zest. Um, and we found this um, uh, uh, producer uh, through a distributor and they actually use the, the pulp, uh, which they call citrus caviar uh, for sort of high-end um, cuisine and high-end kitchens. They, they, they like the pulp, but they don't want the zest. So it kind of works out well because we only want the zest and that's what we use in the beer. We talk to a lot of um, brewers who sometimes struggle to get the hops that they're after. Have you ever struggled to get your hands on the finger limes? Uh, we did initially. Um, it was hard to, you know, get in contact with a, with a producer or a distributor, um, let them know roughly how much we were going to need throughout the year. Um, the first couple of years was a bit, uh, but now we pretty much know how much we're going to brew throughout the year. So we can let them know uh, when it's harvest season, uh, how much we're going to need. And it kind of works out. Has that, um, has that quantity sort of shifted over the years with, with brewing the jet lag? Like the, the, has the balance changed at all or has it always been pretty much bang on the same? Uh, well, the first couple of years we had just started the brewery and everything was a bit, you know, we didn't really know uh, how much we were going to brew of whatever. Uh, but now we have the advantage that we actually set ourselves like how much we're going to brew and, you know, we said we're going to brew this beer 20 times this year, and that's what we do. And yeah, it, it works out. It's sort of Isn't an educated guess every year, but it works a little bit. And, and David just alluded to to the, the 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 scarcity of some of the native ingredients. Is that an issue that you guys have had? I mean, it it seems like it's part of the the nomad story. Well, it is a part of the nomad story. Native ingredients has it been difficult in a lot of circumstances. Could you give us some examples of some some hard um, ingredients to find? Yeah, um, definitely finger lime is one of the more available ones. Um, there have been ingredients that are extreme. Sorry, I'm just gonna. 
I'll be back in one second. <laughs> but the office phone was ringing. Um, there definitely have been ingredients that we wanted to use, but it just wouldn't have been uh, practical or feasible to brew a core range beer with that particular ingredient because it's so scarcely available uh, that we just can't plan for it. Um, mm. So a lot of times those ingredients we use for one-offs or seasonal beers. Uh, but finger limes are fairly widely available now. Not, not that much maybe in 2014, but things have changed a bit. And we're definitely not the only ones brewing with finger lime anymore, uh, which I think is great. Uh, means we had a good idea. And yeah, I mean, it's, you're dealing with uh, seasonal sort of obscure ingredients. So you have to kind of be hmm. smart and try to work in advance and know what time of the year um, that particular ingredient is going to be available and sure. when to brew with it. Yeah, nice. Um, bef before we move on to go, go sort of further along, I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, what was the first drink that you remember having or what was your first craft beer that you had uh, that sort of put you on your beer journey, so to speak? Um, so if we're talking strictly like craft beer, um, I remember very quite distinctly about, oh, it hurts to say it, but we're used to those a answers. little over 15 <laughs> in my early 20s so a bit over 15 years ago almost 20 years ago uh, um there was a distributor in rome that started importing stone brewing from california oh. and arrogant bastard was one of the first craft beers that i you know had at a at a bar at a pub and it, uh, it was delicious and so different and you know um, compared to anything else I'd ever had, it was super bitter, but it was, was it also the label yeah. we've spoke the, some of the brewers had it quite deeds had the same story, but for them, it was just the kick ass sort of rock and roll label that was like, Oh, I'm going to try that beer for that. And then once the cap was off, it was a matter of finding out what was inside was the exciting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, sorry, I'm just going to leave the phone off. Um, yeah, I guess there's that too. Um, there was that rock and rolly feel to it. I was in my early twenties, and I was trying to be cool. No shame there. No, it's uh, it's. I don't think you should be embarrassed about that. We've uh, we've certainly had more embarrassing answers on the call room. I think so. Yeah. Good call on the name. Yep. Can I ask though? What you hinted at there was that there was a drink that came before your first craft beer, that maybe you were, you know, indulging in something a little bit more embarrassing than a beer like stone. So. Yeah, yes. stone sort of uh, implied. Yes, um, I remember quite distinctly. Um, so I was living in Rome. Uh, my father's Italian. Um, beer, at least, used to be uh, very much a, a summer drink in Italy, like, you know, uh, for the hotter months, the warmer months. And I remember my dad drinking beer in summer, and, you know, he'd give me a, a cheeky, you know, give me a little bit of the foam when I was like 10 years old, he'd put it on my lip and then growing up, he'd give me little sips and all that. This is Italy and they do those kind of things. They let you drink at a very young age. <laughs> um, and I remember I really liked the taste and this was probably, it, it could have been any beer, but it was probably Peroni or Nastro Zero or some, mm. you know, um, some Italian 
industrial beer. Uh, and I remember I really liked it. And then I, I was intrigued by the beverage itself and how it was made and all that. And I, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a alchemic thing, at least in my, it was in my uh, younger mind. And um, yeah, I, I always liked beer uh, since I was quite young. Yeah. Well, like you're definitely in good company like there. So yeah. people have told far more embarrassing stories than that. I'm going to tell you. Oh, right really? Now. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a very, yeah, that was a reasonable, that was a reasonable answer for the cool room. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, for me, what really did it was, uh, so my, my best friend uh, moved to Belgium. Uh, he went to study at the conservatory in Brussels. So I was about 19. And, you know, I'm part of the Ryanair generation. So I'd go visit as often as I could, you know, whenever I could find, you know, return ticket for 50 euros, whatever, whatever, you know, I'd go and visit for a couple of days. And that's when we started going to these uh, bars in Brussels and drinking all these amazing beers like Orval, the, the Trappist styles, the Abbey styles and all that. And it was all new to me. Like all I ever had really was just, you know, busy yellow uh, 4% beer, uh, industrial lager. And it was amazing. And the complexity and the differences and the, where it came from and the story and all that. And that was, that was just it. That, that just blew my mind. And I that, I only started really appreciating wine like a, a, a bit later on um, and beer was my thing and I was just totally, you know, all over it. And yeah, that's where it all kind of started. It feels like a love and nomad is more, uh, you'd say American style in, in kind of how it's expressed. It, is, is there a desire there, you speaking so lovingly about the Belgian styles, is there, is there a desire to push a few more of those in? Have you got a, have you got a few ideas of what uh, we, we, We've tried. Um, one of the other first beers that we ever brewed was a, a Saison, but it just never really kind of took off in popularity. Um, um, we, we definitely try here and there. We brew other beers, like, you know, the more uh, yeah. European styles, but I think it's just a moment in history where, uh, and, uh, you know, saisons will come back. They'll have their time, but it's just not this year, maybe the next. So. But we'll get back to you. The, the only gold medal we ever won for a beer was for our saison in 2015. So. Wow. Yeah. Um. Should we move on, folks, and maybe do something else? Should we try the? Should we get our get our other guest involved and crack open the hope inside the fire? Yes, I think Casper's been sitting there very patiently yeah. in uh, in the morning with his coffee over there. <laughs> that um, that's that's uh, pretty. Oh, for for our listeners, this is gonna suck for all our podcast people. But the can, oh, they can experience it firsthand if they buy a pack. But the can is quite attractive. The label is quite attractive, not really. The label is is very good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, welcome, Casper, to our our little uh, now international podcast chat. Thank you. Thank you. 
we've all just opened the can. Obviously, you were saying you're sitting on a coffee at the moment because what time is it over there? Uh, it's uh, 11.28 in the morning, so I guess it's not that early. But... Oh, I would have thought that was perfect beer drinking yeah, that's <laughs> time of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would be nice. Uh, so tell us a bit about the, uh, the Ale Farm story. Um, you know, how did it come to be? When did you open and so on? How did it come to be? Well, I'm, uh, I guess by profession, I'm a software developer still taught but but I, it still counts and um i used to live in in san francisco for the better part of four years i guess um and i just moved to the states because i thought that it would be fun and and you know denmark is a wonderful country but it's very small so i just wanted to i don't know explore the world see a new place and uh so i had this idea that if you develop software, you need to go to San Francisco, which was correct, and it still is, yeah. I guess. It's it, it was it was wonderful. I didn't know that many people when I moved over there. In fact, I didn't know anyone. And so, I attended these meetups and and stuff, and I got to know people. And I was coding away on my computer, and all of that was good. But eventually, I I I I just wanted to go out. So I so I went out and visited a few bars and and that's where i really had my first i guess craft beer experiences i was blown away to be honest by some of the american breweries that were on tap you have to you have to uh you have to uh, to know that in in denmark at the time this is like five six seven years ago yeah seven mm, the craft beer scene wasn't what it what it is today so most bars just had Tuborg and Carlsberg on tap. So that's what I was used to drinking, more or less. And I guess they're okay lagers, but you're not yeah. really blown away by them, are you? I would say you're not. <laughs> so, uh, so I had some excellent beers uh, in the States. I remember my first acquaintance with Love Buzz from Anchorage. I remember Sip of Sunshine from Lawson's Finest. I remember arrogant bastard ale and <laughs> well, of course i had anchor steam and those beers they're also good more traditional i'd say um i was just blown away i went on a road trip uh from chicago to burlington in vermont so that's not in california but uh, i wanted to visit the uh the east coast and and that was just amazing it was really amazing i went to visit hill farmstead and and uh, a lot of the breweries that I absolutely that I'm totally inspired by, and um, and and that was that was really amazing. So, so when I got home, so now I'm back in Denmark, um, because I just miss my family and everything. Uh, so, so I so I went home, and and then I just decided that, hey, why not start a brewery? And so, um, <laughs> so when the opportunity came, I was just like, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's let's it try so it. Sounds so simple. Yeah, yeah. It's the same exactly. thought we all have when we wake up in the morning these days. It's like <laughs> start a brewery. Like, yeah. You you have to know one thing about me is that I'm 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 in a good way. I'm pretty naive, so I'm so I'm just like, let's just do this thing and let's see what happens. Is that so, a prerequisite for anyone who starts a brewery? Um, quite possibly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know at the time at all the. the 
the level of insight into stainless steel and piping, <laughs> everything that you really have to have, you know, in order to, uh, in order to make things work. But I guess I learned and we learned down the line, but to begin with, we didn't know what we were doing. Not really. <laughs> And so, so that was that was like the start of it, and and we started out very very small. Um, we just brewed on a on a on a two hundred liter. So I'm not good with with conversions to barrels and and or ounces, um, but two hundred liter system. Um, oh no, we're we on that. We're we're leaders in Australia. We're not complete heathens. Yeah, not, we're normal. We're we're. <laughs> You're normal. Good. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but we started out very small right um and um and and we just tried to put out some beers and uh fi figuring out can we even do this do people even want to like buy our stuff um and sure they 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 did so um so i guess we we brewed like that for a year and a half or so and and then what i call the upgrade uh came along which was um the upgrade to the to the brewery that we have currently and all the tanks and, and so on that we have right now we have 10 tanks and uh 30 heck uh, system and canning line and 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 all that stuff so but it didn't start out like that not at all it all started out with with us being uh in love with beer and the and the experiences that you can get from drinking beer and I want to emphasize the fact that I still feel like this. So, so even though we're like brewery owners nowadays, I still feel like this when I when I try a new beer. I'm like, "Ooh, this is exciting! What have these people done here? What what was their intention? Ooh, this tastes good." I still have this feeling. It's it it feels new still, and I think I hope that it always will in a way. So, being being in Denmark, obviously. Um, when we can all get on a plane again in the year 2023, I think is what they're saying <laughs> at the moment. I'm not sure. What are your, what are some of your favorite places that inspire you sort of in your area of Denmark and you know, where do you go to have a drink or what are some of the beers that sort of have come out of Denmark that sit nicely in your mind? Well, the first, the first, um, Danish craft beer that I had was was uh, a local one from a from a local brewery uh, close to my parents' place, so they live outside the city. This brewery turned into a very commercial one that 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 brews um, millions of liters of beer a year now. So that's a shame. Um, so they don't brew those beers anymore. I remember vividly my first green gold from McKellar. It's not brewed in Denmark; it's brewed in Belgium, but but still McKellar is. Danish, at least the operation is, um, and that was a very good beer. Then I remember, obviously, the, the, the their stouts, the Bean Geek stouts, really, really good. Um, but I've had so many good ones now. Nowadays, I really enjoy. There's a small bar. It's um, you can sit maybe fit maybe 15 people in there. It's called Himmeriket. It means well, it translates directly to the kingdom of heaven. It's just one word for that. <laughs> and it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was co-owned by Yeppe from Evil Twin uh, NYC. Yeah. But, um, but he started Evil Twin NYC and 
for whatever strange reason, you're not allowed to own a bar in another country if you have an American brewery. I don't know the rules, but those are the rules. So, so he's not a co-owner anymore. But anyway, the place is still awesome. So I really love going there. Wow. Yeah. And we're all we're all sitting here loving the the can design of Hope Inside the Fire. And tell us what we should be looking for in in this particular beer. Uh, first of all, thanks for the uh, kind words about the labels. It's actually I, I I designed the labels and I also named the beers. So uh, awesome. so. So thank the, you. <laughs> the product inside is extremely good too. Let's, it is, let's it not is. forget that. <laughs> thank you. you. Hope Inside the Fire is, is one of the products that came out of our sort of IPA calibration phase, I would, I would say. Um, we were on, a, on, a, on this like quest to discover what we want from an IPA from Ale Farm Brewing. Um, and... It's not to say that we've, we've completely figured out how to uh, how to brew the perfect IPA. I guess we never will. But Hope Inside the Fire comes pretty close to it, actually. It's it's um, it's by intention a bit ester forward, which is due to the higher than average um, fermentation temperature. Uh, and it just, the hop combination is pretty simple. It's Citra and Citra BBC. So, um, so it really just showcases Citra, uh, first of all. And what I get out of it is something along the lines of like this overripe fruit cup, I guess you call mm. it in English. Um, so you get like ripe melons, you get pineapple, you get also very, very soft body. That was definitely a, a design parameter, so to say. Um, and, and you get a smooth finish with this sort of light piney note to it mm. um so so and this was this this is one of the one of the standouts of the so-called ipa calibration phase you could say and this one really paved the way for or sort of set the the standard for the for the ipas that we that we brew now and this is definitely an ipa we're going to brew again we, we don't we don't have that much of a core range uh because we just like to experiment so much but we do bring beers back uh, every now and then and have been doing so this year and this is definitely one of the beers that we're bringing back for sure can i ask where you get your hops from i mean in terms of you know what the danish hop crop is like and not there, <laughs> yes. then you know where best do you get them from sadly we don't get them from denmark mm. um there are Danish-grown hops, but I find them to be less fruity, less... Um, I just taste of less overall. I, I, I guess it's due to the, to the climate here, I, I guess. I, I sounds weird, perhaps, but I think the, the, the hops here, if you, if you should define them by one word, it's like I think they're a bit dusty. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and and so they go well for 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 if you if you brew like lagers and pilsners and so on because because there you obviously do not you don't dry hop those with citra or amarillo or simcoe um but the, the hops that this this batch of, of citra and citra bbc we got from washington uh, state um so we get uh, most of our hops uh, from there and then we get some new zealand hops uh, and we get hops from um, Estonia, actually. Oh. So that's 
about it roughly and then sometimes we just spot uh pops on on, on the spot market because because ooh, here's like a couple of kilos of galaxy that's extremely hard for us to contract um mm. if not impossible because everyone well, it's it's just all on contract already although the galaxy that's produced so we can't really get it on our contract so once once we discover that it's possible to buy galaxy or something like that we typically buy that um but I'd say Washington State for the most part. For me, the whole concept of there being a spot market for hops is a bit like the dark web writ large. You know, I'm told you can yeah. buy bazookas and things on the dark web. I have no idea. I've never been there. But the idea of just being able to say, yes, I'd like, you know, a couple of hundred kilos of citra and it magically happens. And not 100% sure where it comes from, but someone in Latvia doesn't need it today and it magically appears in... Denmark or Flemington, you know, a few days later. That's a yeah, magic world true, we live true. in now. <laughs> I, well, s- some of it actually some of it actually comes from contracts that are not fulfilled completely. So some breweries will ask the, the hop contractor to uh, sell off some of the hops on their contract. So I know that some of it comes from there. But besides that, it is quite magical. Yes particularly for a home brewer, just to think that those things exist out there somewhere beyond the reach until you learn about stainless steel and build your own brewery. Right, exactly. Casper, um, uh, is there a signature of, of uh, our farm beers? I've noticed you were, you were talking quite lovingly about the soft nature of, of uh, the ho- uh, Hope Inside the Fire co-IPA. Is that, is that something we should be looking for when it comes to to our farm beers yes it is it definitely is um i have a philosophy on beers that 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 they should be very soft they should be very easy to drink i don't want to overdo it we don't work with um a lot of like very funky ingredients uh we we don't we don't do these um we don't produce pastry stouts we don't fill our double IPAs with lactose and everything. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Not at all. There isn't. But it's just not for me. It's not for us. What I want from our beers is stability and balance and 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 a, a high level throughout uh, without uh, anything being overdone, if that, if that makes sense. So, so yes, this is definitely something you should look forward to. The balance and the the drinkability of the beers, the smoothness of the of the of the bodies of all the beers, pretty much. Yeah. Does Denmark does Denmark's craft beer scene kind of have a have something that's that's different as well? Is that something that's also in the greater craft market? Is there something in the greater craft market in Denmark? Which I mean, mm, that's a good yeah, that's a good question. Not 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 really. I I um. I guess the Danish craft scene is pretty much inspired by the American, mm. uh, by the New Eng- by the wave of New England IPAs that took over the world, and I guess still dominates a lot of mm. things. Oh, so um, it's, it's not just Australia then, where that's been dominating <laughs> for the last however long. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, definitely not. And while we're also brewing lagers and we're brewing like West Coast style uh, IPAs, because Hey, I used to live there. Um, I would say overall the New England style IPAs are definitely where 
most Danish breweries get their inspiration from. Um, it is just out of interest. Does sour is something that that uh, is coming a little bit later now as well in Denmark? We were we've got uh, we did sours. Uh, we tasted a few sours last week, and is that something that's yeah now a thing for you guys as well? We were actually known for brewing uh, sour beers, and we did that at the old location. Um, and then we moved the brewery and upgraded it. Um, and so we've kickstarted the sour program again, but none of the beers are ready yet. And at the time when, so this is like four years ago. And at that time, well, I reckon we were really the only brewery to release sour beers. I mean, Danish brewery. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, we were, I'm sure we were the only one. Then later on another brewery called Hasley released some sour beers and eventually it caught caught on a little bit but i guess we were the ones to to bring the style into denmark i'd say what so, do you reckon guys that we move yeah. on to the collaboration so we've heard from both of you individually along the way there we've set the scene a little bit and now we can move on to the one brew nation double double dry hopped hazy for those of you that are playing along either at home or, uh, well, via the podcast. So or in let's the have car. those fantastic sounds of those cans opening. And then um, let's start the conversation about where the idea for One Brew Nation even sprang from. And Brooks, you know, take us through a bit of that. And, and yeah. all of from there to what we're drinking. So uh, One Brew Nation is a very new concept um, for... Um, Brewing collaborations um, here at Nomad. Uh, we've always done it in the in the past. Whenever uh, there were visiting brewers or during you know big beer festivals, but um, with this new project, we really wanted to emphasize that uh, this is a, a a one brew only thing, a one off only um, sort of thing. Because um, we brew beers, and people ask us, "Are you are you going to brew it again? Are you going to you know?" We have brewed some again, but this really wanted to emphasize it. it, it is a, it's a true collaboration. It, it's a one-time only thing. And uh, that's what we wanted to do. And that's, you know, where the name comes from. Um, yeah, so it's, it's very new. These are the first two, uh, the, the ones we're having this evening are the, the first two we've, we've ever done in this series. What was your, um, what was your inputs, your, your individual inputs into the, into the, into this beer. Um, when you say collaboration, in in my head, there's a million things you could collaborate with. But yeah, it's yeah. With this particular one. Well, another thing about this project is that we really want to showcase and emphasize the 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 visitor, the visiting brewery. Um, so we kind of want to do what what they do best, or kind of. It kind of sounds like we're stealing the, their ideas, which we kind of are, but. <laughs> <laughs> quite clever about it no but really we want to showcase what they do best and we want to do it over here at our brewery and have them have them over as guests and everything so um obviously ale farm are awesome and they're really mastering these newer uh, modern or contemporary um styles of ales um and you know it just seems very fitting to brew a um, somewhat a approachable pale ale. We didn't want to go like full on APA because we want to uh, get it out to like, you know, um, a broad 
a, a broad base of, of beer drinkers. Um, so we decided to stay in the, in, the, in the pale ale zone, but we double dry hopped it and we did another thing that we love to do and we, I like to think that we do it well. Uh, we added an Australian native ingredient, um, which is rainforest lime, which is one of the quite rare ones that you can only get, you know, during certain times of the year, you have to um, make a reservation for whatever you need and it's kind of hard to get. So I think it's also, that's also fitting for a, for a one-off brew like this one. Can you describe a rainforest lime? I'm not sure what a... Rainforest lime is, as the name says, um, um, a native lime that grows a bit further north, like in the, in the Dane tree. Uh, it grows in the rainforest. Uh, it's even smaller. It's really tiny. Uh, if you can imagine or yeah, just imagine that a finger lime is pretty much as long as a finger and, you know, kind of looks like a finger. Um, a rainforest lime is more like a small berry. And even more so, it has a very high um, skin or zest to actual pulp ratio. So it's basically all zest, which is why it's, it's has no really commercial interest at all. Um, but it's extremely aromatic and it has... Um, I always think that finger lime is a bit of a earthy citrus kind of thing going on. It smells very Australian in some ways, whereas um, rainforest lime is a bit more tropical. It has some like mango papaya notes. Uh, it, yeah, it really remind me of more of a tropical fruit. I've um, I've been reading Asterix and Obelix uh, books lately with my <laughs> eight-year-old son. I sort of now have visions of you wandering off into the rainforest with your sickle, you know, hunting out these magical berries to yeah. make the, the potion, or is it just a little bit more that you find some supplier who lurks deep in the Dane tree who brings these well, things out? I do like to think of myself like in, you know, all dressed in khaki and a big ass machete and all that, but that's the image <laughs> I want to leave people with. We, yeah. <laughs> we we're good friends with uh, a supplier of native ingredients and they, they recommend things to, you know, to, to brew with and when they're going to be available. And yeah, it is obscure ingredient. So it's a bit more of a dealer than a <laughs> distributor. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm Very sure well. many of our listeners will understand. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but yeah, sure. He gets us the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Casper, in relation to, to the flavors of this, how does it compare or what are the differences between this and the, the hope inside the fire? I'm sitting here trying both side by side and they are clearly, you know, there's a, there's a difference there. Can you run us through your side of things on how all this came about? I wish I could, but I haven't tasted it. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so I wish I could. It's pretty tasty. I will, I will, mm. I will add something. Um, I, I will add something. The, 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 the foraging of, of um, local ingredients is, is something that uh, is very close to my heart. We just did it with uh, spruce tip IPA, where we w went to forage uh, local uh, spruce tips. So this is something that is, um, this is something that we do uh, in, in beer started doing. So, so because I guess it, well, you could say it showcases terroir, just like hop combinations do, but it's just, it's just also nice. It's, it's a good story and it, it's, 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 a, it's a fun activity uh, to do when you brew or before you brew. 
it's uh, it's a lot of fun. How much of it did you have to collect? Is it one of those sort of things, a bit like picking grapes that, you know, sounds like a really fun thing to do and you get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to the vineyard and clip a couple of bunches and go, gee, that was fun in, you know, almost zero degree temperatures. And then the next um, eight hours of picking awaits you? Yeah, yes. I think you pretty much <laughs> nail it on the head here because one spruce tip does not weigh that much. I can <laughs> attest to that. And we gathered 11 point something kilos. So it took a while. <laughs> My word, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so, how did but you? But sadly, I haven't, I haven't tasted the, uh, the the collab. So, so, but perhaps Brooks can. I don't know if you've had the hope inside the fire, Brooks. No, I haven't. It's so sold out over here um, that uh, I don't even have one. But maybe I'll just. Uh, uh, I'm feeling pretty special then because I was just going to say the same yeah, thing. I've got I'm sitting here with both of these side by side, and uh, and and you guys are in the opposite camp, sort of thing, which is uh, a, quite a, a testament to how happy it's probably making all us at the moment. But uh, um, <laughs> in relation to your two breweries, though, what made what was the decision process? How did you guys come together? How did you know? It's it's a, it's a bit of a distance between you both. Like, how did it all come about? It is, yeah. Um, our um, so 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 Brooks uh, 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 told how how uh, how the brewery came to be uh, through Johnny, uh, and um, Johnny is our uh, Australian uh, Australian distributor. So um, so so I know uh, Johnny because well he imports and distributes our beers so it was basically on because of his suggestion and then we were like sure that sounds like a lot of fun let's do it amazing and was it your knowledge of stainless steel then that was sort of brought to the to the pallet or you know how you know, what kind of <laughs> negotiation i mean i think for for many people you know it's like watching a couple of rock star bands get together and produce a song People just fascinated by you know yeah. that first was it email first? Did you talk on the phones? Was Zoom a thing three months ago when you know these conversations started? You know, how did it all sort of literally happen? Well, I will say this much: the talks didn't involve stainless steel, not that much, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Brooks, perhaps you can elaborate a bit because you spoke a lot with our lovely head brewer. Alex, who is from the U.S., by the way. Yeah, so uh, through Johnny and Casper, I got in touch with uh, Alex, who's the uh, head brewer at uh, Ale Farm. And, I mean, this shouldn't take away from the poetry of it or anything, but we emailed a lot over the course of about three weeks and just exchanging ideas daily and, you know, putting it all together. Um, yeah, and... After about three weeks, we had a we had a recipe we both agreed on, and we were both excited to to, to make the beer happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we it would have been there would have been a, maybe a few phone calls if there wasn't such a big time difference. So email was just easier for for both of How us. How many times before tonight have you spoken to each other in the same room? 
we haven't spoken to each other in the same room. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, That's a very <laughs> cutting <laughs> question, David. No, 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 no. I meant it as a good... I'm, I'm just thinking you had yeah, a promo yeah, this tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the same Zoom room, not uh, yeah. actual room, obviously. No, I mean, no. Uh, the, the, the story is that uh, Casper was supposed to come over here and help me brew the beer, but that, you know, this... Uh, yeah. Collaboration is a bit of a victim of coronavirus, but it would have been unjust and unfair to the concept and the and the and the story itself not to brew the beer because it was just ready to go. Uh, so we went ahead and did it. Yeah. And part of what we I, I, will, I will add. Hmm. Go, Casper. Yeah, sorry. No, I, I'll just add to to what Brooks is saying and 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 say that. On the day where it was announced that Denmark was shut down and, and that the borders were closed and everything due to Corona, uh, that day we were supposed to travel to Australia. And I've never been to Australia, so oh. I was really looking forward to go. So that was a bummer. Well, but anyway, we'll be, yeah. we'll be back in, in, uh, in 2023 uh, <laughs> or whenever we can travel. <laughs> Hopefully it's not uh, not that long, of course, but um, yeah, it's quite an amazing story. You know, we live in this world now with coronavirus, and you know, it's it, like you said when Denmark was closed down, and it's it makes a it, it makes for interesting talks, no doubt. It does. It does. I feel like the other day, maybe. Yeah, I forget, Travis. Sorry. Mate. Oh, right. no. If you want to say something, David, you can. Oh well, I did. I know that the uh, I know that the Australian treasurer uh, Josh Frydenberg listens into the podcast a lot, and you know, often what I do here is basically try to justify things on my tax returns. And there's a lot of people who are saying in the Zoom chat as we're going along that you know, Casper, you need to taste you know th these beers, and someone needs to get them over to you. And so when flights resume, um, I'm happy. You know, at the expense of both your breweries to grab a slab. I'll keep one out the back and, and, and bring it over to you and perhaps spend a month or two in Denmark just sort of, you know, knocking around with you and getting to taste some of those beers. So if that sounds agreeable to everyone in the room and um, or, you know, if you're against it and you're not muted, speak against it. Oh, that's, that's fine. So I'll take that as agreement. That proposition. So, can, uh, I think that can, sounds lovely. Can the members of the core room podcast that aren't... Um, muted, join you on this trip, David? Or, yeah, oh, well, it's what Josh Frydenberg will be the decision maker on all of these things, but we've got to do something with all that Australian barley, so there's some good brewing to be had there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we've got to... <laughs> I've derailed the conversation successfully. I feel like we have totally just gone down a hole. Yeah, uh, shall we, shall we get back on track and uh. I don't know. How's everyone feeling about opening up another beer? Um, Can yeah. I ask one question, perhaps, just to delay that while people think, because we're dealing with some big cans there. And Casper, um, you mentioned that you name all the beers and you design all the labels, which for anyone who has only sort of the half pack that we've sent out, you'll have only got one of the Ale Farm original cans. For people who have the full pack, you have two. But if you haven't checked out the full thing, just Google Ale Farm labels. We love label design discussions and beer name discussion questions on the on the podcast. Um, talk us through what's some fantastically artistic things here and um, tell Corey that he's right for peeling the labels off cans and seeing them out flat because 
what you've done here are little works of art on every can. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, David. Well, when we started the brewery in, in two, late 2014, I already pretty much knew what I wanted to do in terms of the labels. Um, at the time, before that, many, many, what I perceive to be many anyway, craft beer labels were like very rock and roll-ish. Mm. They were like skulls and dragons and skeletons and things on fire and swords and whatever. Arrogant bastards. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. And had like, yeah, it was just dark and rock and roll. And I love rock and roll. Uh, so don't get me wrong. But what I wanted to do here was just to create like um, designs that are more open, that are light, that are more feminine, that have a more feminine touch to them, that are defined by like the Nordic design. Mm. Because, it, you know, in Scandinavia, everything is is our designs are very simple. They're very um, clean cut, I would say. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to just do create labels that, that, that are more light and open and perhaps a bit more, I don't know, new, new Nordic, I guess you call it that. And, and I've, I've just been pursuing that ever since pretty much. Um, in the beginning, we had a bit more of a cartoonish look to them, but Hope Inside the Fire is an example of the more artistic um, look and feel that I've come to appreciate the most. The, um, the name? Where does that come from? Mm. Well, um, it, this may sound weird, but, but as you can tell, I'm not a native English uh, speaker. So, so whenever I listen to songs or, or read something, I will, I will uh, hear small passages of words that I think sound cool <laughs> or good. And then, I'm, and, and then I'll just name the beers after that. Or I will, I will come up with something that has a special meaning to the brewery or me or to whenever. And, what I was tremendously worried about with this beer, actually, on that note, was that we shipped it out to Australia right when the forest fires were, you know, breaking out. So I was like, oh, no, I made a beer that's named Hope Inside the Fire, and that's a bit off as a reference. But, but really, it had nothing to do with that. It's just because I, I think it, it sounded nice, and it had this, like, depth to it i guess that i like and i did the label and so on so it had nothing to do with the forest fires but i was kind of worried how how you would receive it so that the other one we have in our packs is the time runs like sand through your fingers and between the two of them i know you're saying you're not a metal fan and things but either one of those would be a great you know metallica live album title yeah, yeah, that's true. Time runs like sand through your fingers is a direct reference to the fact that we've been working so much and and that that at least 2019 was like for me like a crazy year. It was a lot of fun. It was also very, very fast paced. Um perhaps a bit too much. I don't know. I can't really figure it out. It just feels like time that ran through my fingers. So that that's why I named the beer that and this be my i'll hand over to the guys again in a second we'll get underway with the next beer but perhaps just to to reflect on 
2020 for both of you guys. Do you think sort of that you feel that last year moved fast because 2020 is such a different year that you, I presume, spending far more time at home and for both of you, maybe more time in the brewery and less of the hectic day-to-day sort of insanity of presumably being, you know, CEOs, head brewers at big, big breweries these days. Talk amongst yourselves. Well, I think hmm, it's a very good question. I don't accept that. <laughs> no, I think for for Alefont Brewing, 2019 was a year that was defined by um, balancing things out, figuring out which beers to actually brew going forward, figuring out how to use the brand new equipment that was. Well, it was ready to go mid-2018, but it took a while to dial things in. So, but yeah, maybe you're right it, it, this, that this feeling, at least for me, has come about because of the way that two, uh, 2020 has developed. Yeah, that, that might just be right. What about you, Brooks? Um, it's interesting because I was just thinking about this the other day. And um, so 2019 was a very um, planned out year. Um, everything was scheduled and it was interesting, but, you know, um, challenging to stay on schedule all the time. Whereas 2020 has been with, and I'm not saying this is positive, but with all the, the, the canceled beer events and, uh, trade shows and beer festivals and all that, uh, it actually opened up, a, a little bit of space for a bit of, a bit more freedom and creativity and sort of reinventing a few things, reconsidering a few things. So as much as this sucks, like I would rather be in a room with all you guys drinking beer than sitting in front of a laptop. Um, it has created a few opportunities to reevaluate a few things. And I mean, also what we're, I mean, uh, it's lovely to be here with all you guys drinking beer uh, over a laptop, just as, just the same. So, mm. Yeah, two very, very different years. Um, yeah. Shall we move on to our last beer in our in our tasting session for tonight? Uh, the Waddle Sea Brown. I am going to open my can. Hopefully, everyone else may have been in a position to do the same. And we should add, for the brewers, we, many of us who were on the sort of pre-chat session enjoyed the Rogue Hazelnut Brown, which is a firm favourite at the Royal Mail in West Melbourne. I realise I haven't been pushing my own pub hard enough in some of these discussions. So uh, those of you that are flying down Spencer Street in West Melbourne, drop in and see us hopefully in a couple of weeks, Tom, when we reopen there. So we've, we've had the Hazelnut Nectar experience that now we're going to have the Australian version of Brooks again. Can you tell us a bit of the story about the collab starting and how it goes from there? Yeah. So, uh, Rogue Brewery is another one of those breweries that was brought into Italy some a bit over 15 years ago. Um, and I remember, uh, Dead Gael, Shakespeare Stout, they were delicious. And this was all sort of during the time when, Stone was coming in, uh, arrogant bastard that we talked about before, but um, 
I really, I really like, uh, I really like Rogue's beers. Um, I really like their hazelnut brown. Um, so when I found out that, that those guys were going to come over here, I was like, oh, we got to brew with them. And I really want to do more of a dark beer. Um, as you know, we're, we're going to start approaching the, the, the colder months over here. I would really like to sort of take one of their beers or at least the base of it, like a kick-ass brown ale. Uh, I really love that beer. And um, add a native ingredient to it. Um, Wattle seed is an ingredient we, we have used before. It's not new to us. It's another one of those slightly more widely available ones that you don't really have to plan for. Uh, it's kind of out there and available. And I personally love it because it's, it's, it's used as a coffee substitute. Um, so it has all those nice roasty, but, but creamy, uh, slightly bitter, um, very coffee-like. Um, a little nutty and chocolatey um, as well. So it, it was just the perfect ingredient for, for this uh, beer base. And so what we did is we, we sort of shaped a brown ale together. We wanted to make sure that uh, we didn't cheat and that uh, some of the roasty and, and coffee-like flavors came from, from the malt themselves. But we only tried to color the beer just enough to get um, a little bit of uh, substance in there, a little bit of uh, a few layers of maltiness, but we really wanted all the nice, nutty, roasty, coffee-like flavors to come from the wattle seed. So the ones you get in the beer are actually from the wattle seed, not so much from, from the specialty malts we used. Warren, I mean, for, for me, from my point of view, the rise of sort of Australian ingredients I think wattle seed might have been the first, you know, I'm mid forties, I'm Australian for the first sort of 20 or 30 years of my life. You barely encountered any of these sort of flavors. You've run all sorts of restaurants and other places, you know, which did you see first and how uh, do you sort of see wattle seed as a flavor? I think I've, I've haven't come across wattle seed that much to tell you the truth in, in, in the restaurant wine, even the cocktail game, we, we were doing, little bits and pieces uh, in cocktails. Um, and it's, it's really difficult. And I kind of, the reason why I asked Brooks ab uh, about the ingredients earlier is because, yeah, it's really hard to get a lot of those native ingredients. And I suspect, I suspect, look, this, this, is, a, this is a funny thing and sort of related. Um, the, the largest grower and exporter of Australian native flowers in the world is Israel. And I suspect that someone else will be the largest exporter and producer of Australian ingredient before we work out how to get it. It's just, mm. it's, it's such a pain in the bum. Waddle seed though, yeah, those toasty bits um, are really lovely in that beer. And I love the, the kind of, there's a, there is a little bit of, of, kind of a fleck yeah there's this it's really hard to explain the seed character like it's sort of different from uh, uh the husk of 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 like a wheat or a grain but there's a seed character to it though yeah. i'm really nice it's quite it's significantly different from the the hazelnut brown too which kind mm. of surprised me uh, uh, I, I thought 
um, the hazelnut brown is good. I don't know if you tried it, Casper, but and I know Brooke, Brooke's because it's one of your favourites. It's uh, you'd know it, but it's that texture and that caramel, the the yeah. real, and the the kind of the confectionery characters, the hazelnut brown, which I don't necessarily see in the the wattle seed brown ale. I'm not not that it's a bad thing because I think the wattle seed brown ale looks more like a brown like a brown ale, but in my head with yeah. another layer on top um yeah they're fascinating would you like to talk about in terms of texture and what you did there and, and um, yeah. well i guess the, the first main difference is that hazelnuts are not and wattle seed oh. is a seed um so with the hazelnut obviously you get a little bit of that oily uh hopefully not too much but but creamy texture and the the, the flavor is also uh, i guess it stays it kind of coats your tongue a bit more um, the hazelnut. Whereas with the seed, uh, obviously it's sort of a different feeling and it's a bit not cakey, but a bit crackery. It's, a, it's just a bit more crisp uh, on your palate. Um, it washes away a bit quicker, uh, yeah. which is why we wanted to layer the malts in a way that you would still have sort of that uh, sweet not oily, but nice creamy texture uh, in the back, obviously. Um, it, wor it works a little bit differently, but yeah. And I, I, I enjoy the fact that they're completely different beers. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, you know, the, the scope was to create something new, um, doing something that we kind of used before and we know how to do well, or at least I like to think so, and yep. take some of Rogue's experience with building a kick-ass <clears throat> brown ale. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, the other thing, if you ever if you ever have another go at this and you want to kind of create the Aussie version that has on it, try sandalwood nuts. Um, yeah, the the I'm sure you've have you used sandalwood nuts before? I can't remember if I've seen a. Uh, we haven't, but every now and again in the mail, I get uh, these packages that uh, our dealer sends us uh, samples and. A few months ago, they sent us some uh, sandalwood nuts, and they were delicious. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a similarity there. Or macad. No, here's another product which is grown more overseas than it is here. Macadamia nut, not uh, not necessarily a brown ale, but yeah, they'd be like an Irish something that I could imagine would work really well. But we're kind of wow. going a bit off topic. Let's not give you too many ideas. <laughs> Casper, uh, are there any Danish ingredients that you, uh, uh, whether they're nuts or otherwise, that, that you'd <laughs> like to bring to a beer? Well, um, a favorite. It's actually kind of hard to work with um, because of the sediments, but uh, seed buckthorn is, is something that is, is used quite often here, uh, both for uh, making schnapps, that is like vodka that's been aging on seed buckthorn, um, but also in beers. So that's definitely a, uh, an ingredient that is often used. Then I will say, well, we just did the spruce tips one, as, as I said. So that's, that's, also, uh, that's also interesting. Um, we're looking at, at uh, you know, on this note, we're actually looking at uh, brewing beers with locally grown and um, uh, locally grown malts. Uh, because because we there was an opportunity to do this we haven't been producing that much malt in Denmark for whatever reason but um, 
but 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 there's a small farm that does this now so so that's quite cool actually something that i'm very excited about so so we're gonna have in our next couple of beers we're gonna have locally produced malts in them so it's gonna be quite interesting to see how that affects the the body and and, and everything in the beer yeah but i would say sea buckthorn that's a that's a classic if you're after some barley, Australia's got about half a billion dollars worth that we need to move in the next couple of yeah. weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, I believe you. I believe I, you. Uh, I'm, uh, that's the second time you've, you've, you feel like you're pushing <laughs> this, David. Yeah. Like, you're right, though. Yeah, sorry, I'm just sorry. conscious there's a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of barley they need to sell or they can't feed their kids. Sorry, sorry Casper. You probably you probably haven't realised that uh, our, our tiff with... Um, our tip with the Chinese government has, has meant that we've got enormous tariffs on our, on our barley at the moment. So um, that's what oh. it's alluding to. I'm so, just doing my bit for the industry. The barley industry. <laughs> no, I did not know this. Yeah, so that's why. That's why Unless you follow World Trade Organization yeah, yeah, exactly. discussions in a way yeah. that only I do, you wouldn't. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit I don't. <laughs> There's, there was, uh, going back to your stainless steel, the stainless steel though, um, and another, another uh, obscure Australian political thing. Um, in, in Victoria, one of our premiers deregulated the dairy industry, which meant a whole bunch of, da- a whole bunch of dairy farms all disappeared. Um, but the wine industry really took advantage of that and just soaked up all those secondhand dairy um, very stainless steel tanks and, and use all those. So, no, there's, you know, there's some good in, in a bit of... Is that a question, Warren? Yeah. No, no, there was no question in that at all. As per usual, I'm just trying to go on track. David, um, I feel like we're progressing into last yeah. week's Meet the Brewer yeah. podcast let's where Warren not, is a little bit off track. No, no, let's not Get us back on track, but Travis. Ask, ask, the, uh, ask the people who are in the room with us whether they have any questions. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyone out there that would like to ask a question, feel free to unmute yourself and feel free to ask away. Don't all unmute yourselves at the same time, obviously. Um, I might throw in one to Casper, though. Um, where do you sit in the Denmark market? Are you guys like the guys? Are you guys the, the, the craft beer people? Uh, it's, it's, it, I'm just trying to find an example, but uh, and it's not. I'm, yeah, are you guys the craft beer peoples? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess if you ask most people here, the answer is yes, and um, and I'm very humbled by 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 the fact that a lot of other breweries find inspiration in what we do. I can tell that because it's pretty obvious in certain areas. And I think that is just fine. Uh, as a software developer, I, I come from an open source background, so I happen to like that a lot. <laughs> um, I, think it, I think it's great that we can inspire each other. But yes, I would say if you ask the regular Danish craft beer drinker, then there are roughly like seven or maybe 10 top Danish breweries and we're we're at the top of the list in most people's minds I I would honestly say yeah I think so is it a is it a cooperative environment in terms of craft in craft breweries in in Denmark do you guys get together and drink each other's beers and tell it yeah we 
It's a hey, yeah, it's that's a very funny question, and that warrants a podcast entirely on its own. Um, We've got time. <laughs> I will say, for the most part, the answer is definitely yes. The Danish beer industry is somewhat tainted by the rivalry of uh, McKellar and Evil Twin. Well, I was about to say, um, McKellar doesn't listen to our podcasts. We know that. Not since the incident. So if you want to bag them, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't necessarily want to do that. But it's just it's, <laughs> Very wise. It's, tainted, it's tainted a bit because of that, I will say, to be completely honest. It is. But the rest of us are 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 doing our very best to cooperate. And, and you see it in, um, well, at least behind the scenes, you see it a lot because then some brewery is in the need of cans because they're doing a canning run and they ran out of cans and they can only order more in four weeks. Or some brewery might be uh, needing uh, cases for packaging cans into or whatever. So when we need like those sorts of things for the production and so on, we call upon each other. So I will say in terms of that, it's, it's very... Um, cooperative uh, but there is sort of like there's the McKellar side of the scene and then there's everyone else and um, since we are and since I am and had, have always been independent uh, we're not a part of the McKellar scene because they like to do things their own way and they like for, for people to act in a way that is in accordance with how they think people should act and I do not believe in that not personally and not in business. I think everyone should be allowed to be creative as they please. Brooks, do you find the same thing in Sydney? Is it, is it, uh, are you guys all loving and caring and sharing? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, but, um, I think it's like, for example, in the last at least five years, there's, the breweries in Sydney have quadrupled. Um, there's a few breweries of, in Sydney that I haven't even had their beers or I really don't know them personally, um, which is my fault really, but uh, it, there's a lot of us, but it still is a really good scene. Uh, it's very genuine. Um, just recently, I mean, about two or three months ago, a little before the the whole coronavirus thing. We did a sour beer festival that um, Batch Brewing organized. And it was lovely. Like everybody there was great. It was good to catch up with some fellow brewers. Um, the people there were awesome. And yeah, it, it was a really good, it's still a really good time. Hmm. I know there are some rivalries out there and, you know, some things going on every now and again, but I think that's normal. It is business after all sometimes, yes. but I, I still, I still enjoy it. I still like, I still enjoy the scene. But there are some breweries that I don't know too much about right now. Uh, which I guess can, can I sort of ask in the coronavirus? Get out again. For, for both of you, is coronavirus sort of and the lockdowns and being able to access whether it's just you know ingredients or cans or production or shipping? Do you think that's changed those relationships? Is that sort of the thing where brewers are now finding themselves in the same boat? and helping each other more or is it just business as usual and not much has changed? Uh, in our case, not much has changed, but so in the area we are in Brookville, uh, there's four breweries and a distillery. 
so we, we, we're all good neighbors and we exchange favors frequently. So not much has changed in that sense because somebody might run out of, you know, some specialty malt or a pack of yeast or whatever that happens frequently enough. So not much has changed. But, um, I do have to say that there have been quite a few, at least for us over here in Australia, a few disruptions in the, uh, supply chain and we've had a little bit of trouble here and there uh, with some ingredients and supplies and things like that you have to really plan ahead now because whatever was whatever had a you know like a two-week turnover or uh, whatever now is four to five weeks uh, with some possible delays so it has been a little tricky here and there casper how about you yeah yeah, well, how has it been? I mean, in terms of um, getting supplies from from our suppliers, malts and so on, it hasn't really been a problem at all. Um, not here. We've seen slight delays in the production of cases for cans and so on, but I don't know if it was delayed before Corona even as well. I'm not really sure, actually. So while I cannot really put pinpoint anything that changed in that regard something did change uh, due to corona uh, and I think with all due respect to, to to what has happened elsewhere I think this change in particular is a good thing at least for Danish breweries what happened was that we had to come out of our shell is not the right word the phrasing I guess but what happened was that we just said, and, and it's pretty apparent in everyone's uh, social media streams, um, the breweries just said, well, listen up, this has happened. And now it's not so much about whether um, this beer has been dry hot with this and that, or, or, you know, or it's not about features anymore, so to say. Right now it's about us as people. We run these breweries and we absolutely need your help. And that's what, pretty much everyone communicated to their followers and, and to the beer drinkers in, in Denmark. And I think that made for a very, very direct connection between us and the beer drinkers. And I think that connection is, has been, or the creation of that connection is something that's very, very good. And it's very, very beneficial to me personally. It's been very inspiring. It's been, super amazing to talk to so many i've spoken to hundreds of people during corona that i would otherwise not speak to because they would just buy our beers in stores and they would leave a rate on untapped or whatever or rating mm. um but it's been it's been a very rewarding experience i would say uh, in terms of this particular perspective mm. And I think that's one of the things we've been interested in exploring on the podcast is that idea of everyone agrees about the terribleness of the situation overall, but what silver linings can everyone find in that? It's really interesting to hear that that's, that that's the one you're taking away. Most people, most brewers are finding some way to do either new things or new experiences and new connections. Um, I've got a, a question here on our little Zoom chat from Ryan, who I think is a, a long-time listener, first-time Zoom chatter. Uh, he can't actually ask his question himself because he's pouring tomato sauce on, uh, on a meal at the moment. And um, 
that's that's going to make it a bit hard. But he says that when he thinks of Denmark, he thinks of it as a cool, clean countryside with lots of fields and probably that image that I'd agree with, exactly what you're just almost describing when you're talking about your, your image design for your cans. Um, and he's asking, are there any plans for a wild ferment, you know, sort of beer to make use of what Australians at least think of as sort of the natural habitat that, that Denmark has? Yes, there is. Um, we're experimenting with it as we speak, or these days. Um, to do a wild fermentation, we're actually experimenting with, uh, or we have in the plans to put to to uh, to order a, a cool ship, a cool ship, I guess you say in English, um, and to place it on the roof of the brewery. So uh, so that's definitely going to be uh, interesting. Um, and and again, it's a part of our roots. It's a part of our history. Not Denmark, but but a part of uh, ale farms history to do mixed fermentation uh, saisons. So well, we just moved the brewery. And so we, we, we had to like restart the sour program and, and we are restarting it with wild fermentation. Yes, absolutely. And if you are, don't know what a cool ship is, then go back to last week's edition of Virtual Meet the Brewers with the Cool Room, where we speak to La Serene in Melbourne, and they describe what it's like to set up a cool ship and how all of these things might work in uh, downtown Darabin. So um, the two episodes connect together beautifully in, in that regard. Um, first time listener, long time typer, long time tomato sauce uh, pourer, uh, Ryan has a, has a quick follow-up question, which is about further One Brew Nation uh, collabs that, Brooks, can you hint at, you know, where, you know, what we might be looking at for, for future episodes of similar things? Uh, there's definitely going to be more One Brew Nation releases. Um, um, at the moment, that's, not, nothing's going to happen in the next couple of months for sure, but we will definitely get back to it when things open up a bit more and uh, yeah. Can you, can you, give us, are you talking to people in, let's name continents you can, and how about this, even I'll, I'll interpret, yep. nod if there's anyone in Antarctica that you're talking to. Okay, no one in Antarctica. Anyone in North America that you're talking to? Quite possibly. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to draw you out too much. I'm not Virginia Trioli, but you know, I'm just trying to get a little bit of a, a touch. David, David's angling here. He's trying to get the inside information. That's all right. We know that once the information becomes available, we'll be the first in the know for that. So, Yeah, for sure. Is there anyone who wants to wave at me as we do in my son's uh, school meetings to say they've got a question? Well, if that's if that's the case, can I first of all, before I formally say thank you, can Sorry, I ask you quickly. both to share? Um, I want to I want to get a uh, a bit of a snapshot of of a, a screen capture for the social. So if we got everyone holding up a beer or something like that, um, give me two seconds to get it. Ryan, I didn't think you could speak because of all that sauce, but... I know, right? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I had to clear my mouth very quickly. Sorry, guys. I've been, I've been very quiet. Um, yeah, cool. So, um, and we go okay. in three, two, one. Cheers. Excellent. Thanks, guys. I'll go mute again. 
there we go. That was uh, something <laughs> new for the podcast. Yeah. Well no. done, Ryan. I'm hoping to see that photo really soon. <laughs> Perhaps, guys, I'll start with you, Casper, and then Brooks. Can you tell us the social media that people should be following for your breweries and for yourselves if you want to spruik that as well? And then we'll, um, we'll wrap up and say thank you uh, if no one's got any other questions. Yeah, so for Nomad, uh, obviously, Instagram's a big one. We try to keep it uh, updated daily. And Facebook as well uh, for a few more, like, uh, detailed uh, infos and things like that. So Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a newsletter, so sign up for that. It's always good to get. Does it come out in hard copy? No, it doesn't. Oh, that's a bit easy. It might have been like a wrestling dirt sheet, which is, you know, sort of kept the tradition since the 1980s. Casper, how about you? What's the... Uh... Yeah. For, for us, it's... Um, well, we're on all platforms, I guess. We're on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook, but my favourite is Instagram. So so if you should follow us on one platform, I will say at Ale Farm on Instagram. Ale Farm Brewing, even. And of course, we'd encourage you to uh, follow Cool Room Podcast on those as well, if you haven't already done so. That means you can stay up to date with all of the fun things that we're doing, such as the, our next virtual Meet the Brewers, which is next week, uh, with uh, Blackmans. So Travis has been hard at work with them. I'm taking the long drive down to Torquay next week, making my son do some sort of bushwalk in the terrible Melbourne rain and 12 degrees along the Victorian coast. We might see if there's any spruce tips or wild things that we can forage for some homebrew just to make my son's life completely miserable. We'll ship them over to you, Casper, when we ship over the beers that you've, uh, that you've been working hard on. Um, can I say to both you and Brooks tonight, it's very generous of you to give up your time, particularly at the time of day that you're both in. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks for cool. having us on. Yes, and thank you so great. much for having us. A pleasure, guys. And to Travis and Warren, thank you for navigating our way through these fantastic tasting packs that we have. Always a pleasure. And um, the beautiful thing, if you're participating live in this, is that you get to sort of sit around while we reopen all of the mics and we turn the recording things off and just have a yarn amongst each other about the beers that we're having. We encourage you to be part of that if you've not been part of that before. Um, thank you. You've been in the cool room. Hey there, cool room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right. Add over.